Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Hello again, listeners. It's another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. It's a new season, Daily Canon Weekly Podcast, because yes, the Premier League is back. Uh, regardless how you may feel about that in a more cosmic sense, in an Arsenal sense, it's probably quite a good thing. And to help me celebrate that fact and discuss some of the things that have happened in the, just the last week, which has been quite a lot, is Paul Williams. How are you, Paul? Um. Yeah, very good, mate. Thank you. How are you? Uh, well, I'm not as good as you, but I'm pre- I'll try and pretend for the benefit of those listening. Uh, also, I don't have a new Arsenal Sabutio-themed T-shirt on, uh, which... which uh, <laughs> you bright, isn't it? It's, it's, it's good. You're, you're putting me to shame here. You're putting me to shame. I feel, I feel deeply sort of... Uh, oh, no, hang on. I am actually wearing uh, an Arsenal oh, yeah. red current uh, polo shirt that I... I got free when I bought a home shirt about four years ago when they were that desperate to flog them because they were Pima ones and they weren't as popular. Funny that. Yeah, funny that. Because, uh, of course, we've launched a third kit, finally, officially, uh, complete with, like, funky videos of, like, urban-looking cool kids uh, tapping badges and showing off their stripes and, you know, hey. Um, but what do you reckon to the third kit? Because, we, obviously, we've already discussed the previous two kits on an earlier podcast, but we've got a new one again. How do you like it? I really like it. Actually, it's a beautiful looking kit. Um, I just because don't generally believe in wearing football shirts for leisure wear. I wear them to play football in, and I may have mentioned this before, but we play in red or yellow bibs on Thursday nights. So obviously, as an Arsenal fan, I'm well covered Sorted. for red and yellow. But there'll never be a context in which I could wear that blue shirt. Um, but I think it's really good effort. Um, I, you know. Blue as a main colour for Arsenal probably might feel intuitively wrong to some people, but I think when it's done as well as Adidas have done it, we can um, consider it a job well done and a worthy addition to the uh, other two kits, which are gorgeous. Well, crucially, it's the right blue, isn't it? Yeah. And we've got none of this fucking toothpaste green bullshit from last year, <laughs> which, which is like, I mean, it wasn't unpleasant to look at, and clearly they're going for a more leisure wear market. But frankly, if you're going to be just going for, like, broad leisure wear, you're not going to be going for broad leisure wear with a club crest on it unless you're, like, a supporter of that club. Because, yeah, you know, it has too much weight with it to try and make it too broad. So what you've got to do is you've got to make something that is nice enough, but yet enough in the traditions of the club that all the people that support the club will buy it like it enough to buy it to consider wearing it outside of a normal football context rather than trying to go oh no we'll get like you know Man United fans to buy Arsenal kits never gonna happen end it there stop it'll be interesting because it does feel to um, Arsenal fans of a certain vintage us um, Adidas get Arsenal and understand Arsenal fans um but they, I've noticed with Manchester United, they they they, they bring the templates out at a certain point, and it'll be interesting to see a couple of years down the line whether Arsenal end up falling victim to the Adidas template. I mean, the away kit this season is not an away kit. You could imagine any other club that uh, having their kits made by Adidas, yeah, yeah, striding out onto the pitch. And um, I'd like to think it will stay that way for us, but. Well, I mean, Adidas, as we've discussed previously, was so on point with this. It was very much a case of, hey, you know, we're coming back to Arsenal and we're going to, and, you know, there's a sense of dislocation around the club anyway. Um, 
if we just if we just go a bit nostalgic but with a slightly more jazzy feel to it, we, we're onto such a fucking win here because that's what you know it is the nostalgia of either the Invincibles or the, for the for the older generation that George Graham team, which haunts. Uh, even though we're in a different stadium, it still haunts the club in a major way. So if you can tap into that and tap into those memories and those values and you know the, uh, the imagery of it, then you're onto a winner. Uh, so. Th- that was a very, very strong opening gambit. But yeah, of course, it's not going to stay that way. The question is, is how clever can they be about departing from it without going too far when they inevitably have to crank out new ones every year or every other year to make dosh? And that we shall have to wait and see. One thing we don't have to wait and see about is the transfer window because it is shut! Um, it is shut very firmly, uh, unless, of course, there's any uh, free transfer signings. I'm enjoying the fact that the Sammy Kadira rumours are still going on because there's talk of Juventus <laughs> paying him to go away and then we might picking up without, of course, any of the newspaper journalists recognising the fact that we don't have any space in our squad for any uh, over-21 non, non-homegrown non players unless someone leaves. But then again, the rumours about Shrotham Mustafi are still going wild uh, with uh, the did you see the story of the weekend where it was basically not so subtly leaked that Unai Emery's basically said, yeah, you can go? Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I, 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 the match day squad yesterday was quite telling on that front, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when when, when your international World Cup winning centre-half can't get on the bench when fit, when you don't have enough defenders, <laughs> tells you tells you where the clubs stand on that one. Um and the question is whether we can flog him or whether he's going to go on loan somewhere with us having to subsidise a tiny bit of his wages. Um, I, I suppose um, if he were to go on loan just for the year, his contract's probably up at the end of this season anyway. No, he? no, he's got he, he's it's, he's twenty twenty one. But but the strange thing is, he's the kind of player that if he went on loan somewhere where. He was better protected by the by the, his partners and the team around him, and the league was a little less demanding in terms of ninety minutes of solid concentration. He could do really well and look really great, and and sort of make his market value relevant again. Because yeah. you know the thing about Mustafa, as we know, until recently, where he's, where he just totally fell off a cliff. But prior to that, he was one of those players that would be really good for 80 minutes of every match and just have like a few other minutes of absolute toilet in there. Um, but in most leagues, if you're not for playing, if you're not, you know, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, you know, that level of team, in most leagues, you can get away with that because the league, because, you know, anyone outside the top four in most leagues is pretty easy to roll over eight times out of ten if you're one of the top teams whereas obviously in England you know except for the except for maybe the second half of the season when you get teams who are cut, cast adrift at the bottom everyone is still fighting because that's the way and, and also everyone's got enough TV money to make sure that there's a few decent players in every squad you know you look at some of the bottom teams in some of you know the 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 bottom half of the league in say Spain or France or Germany and there's some teams there with players who are like you know they're just not any. They've just got weak squads. Whereas yeah. the bottom half of the English league, in, unless someone's form's gone down the loo and they're in danger of getting relegated, most of them have got a few players that can hurt you. Um, 
So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with that. I think it'd be better for him if he was sold outright, and it'd also be better for Arsenal at this stage. But uh, if he went on loan, I could see it actually working out quite well for both parties as well, although even if it's... Well, assuming we could then flog him in the summer. <laughs> but that's... Uh, we, we'll have to, well, we've got another couple of weeks of the European transfer window, so we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. And also, if... Uh, Mohamed El Nini ends up staying or going. Um, there's absolutely no rumours about that at all. There was, there was sort of for about two days. There's rumours about Turkish teams, and they've gone stone cold quiet again. So, who knows what's what the case is with that? Maybe, maybe with Mustafi leaving, he'll come back. He'll, it will be a <laughs> he'll be made to be a the new new fifth choice centre half, just like he was under the last season of Wenger. But let's <laughs> let's not give ourselves nightmares about that just yet. But of course. Our defensive needs are not quite as strong as they were because uh, there are deadline day signings. Arsenal in the market on deadline day, both buying and selling. Like, when the fuck did that happen? Um, what did you make of it, deadline day? Uh, well, I think last time I spoke to you, just three weeks ago, yeah. we were talking about Kieran Tierney, and I think we both felt that would ultimately end up happening. I know it's one of those things you sort of talked to more length with Anita about. Celtic had never told us to do one. They were just saying, yeah. pay us the money. And yeah. um, obviously Arsenal managed to uh, uh, Ralph put a phone call in, didn't he? Um, so they came to whatever agreement they came to. So that that wasn't too surprising. Um, watched a few YouTube clips of the guy who looks an absolute beast. So that's... Did, 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 Very you, did you see the uh, tra- the uh, Arsenal, you know, you, you know, they do these behind-the-scenes training intro videos of their first day of all the new players now. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, on his on his first go of doing the vertical jump thing, like, he was, like, second only to Aubameyang's record. And his second go, he, just, he beat the club record, <laughs> despite yeah. the fact he's yeah, injured yeah. and he's a left-back and he's a short-ass. So, that's, you know, that tells you something about his physical potential. Yeah, it's, um, I, I listened to the interview that he did, and it is. Um, we've never had a Scottish player for, or we haven't had a Scottish player for absolute ages. So not, not since Paul Dickoff, yeah. Yeah, well, it was quite shocking to hear him talk. <laughs> I, I don't know why I was surprised he was so Scottish. Um, but it's just <laughs> a real sort of, oh wow, he sounds a bit. Oh, maybe he's a bit hard. And um... well, he's not just Scottish; he's a he's he's a Ouija as well. He's from Glasgow, so <laughs> yeah, I'm really like having seen just a few clips of him. I'm just really excited to watch him. Um, I think he'll he's he's probably gonna be the most exciting left back we've had since Ashley. So. Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't you, know what else to say at the moment. I was, yeah. was going to say you didn't find Andre Santos exciting. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, he certainly got my heart going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but uh, you know, we we weren't surprised that that happened. I don't think. No. Um, no. Obviously, David Luiz, who I'm sure we'll be talking about it. Let's talk about it now, perhaps. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's always nice if you get a transfer that literally the first anyone's heard about it is about 
18 hours before it happens <laughs> mm. um yeah very sudden um I mean, there's a few things to consider with that, really. I mean, there's a lot of questions I've got to ask, and obviously I have my opinions on them, but I'd like to know yours. Uh, about, firstly, well, I mean, what do you think of him as a signing, given the position we were in? Um, we needed someone. Um, obviously, Cashel, we were all saying in the summer we needed a centre-back anyway. Yeah, and then yeah. Cashel in the game, we definitely needed a centre-back. Uh, to get someone who has Premier League experience, not just Premier League experience, he's played for a top club, which obviously we hate to say it, but Chelsea are a top club. Um, so London-based to begin with, which helps as well, I think. He doesn't have to move from Manchester and spend his time in a hotel or something. Yeah, yeah, ridiculous. yeah. Um, I think there are probably for Arsenal a few boxes he ticks um, he's a little bit more imposing than probably the majority of the centre-backs we've got at the club Socrates mm. um, he gets good on the ball I think that's a, yeah. probably a big thing for Unai Emery yep. um, you know having a centre-back that can play out from the back and I, I think with his range of passing as well that gives us an exciting um, dimension on the counter-attack uh, or it should be, it might not. I well, well, I think I think the stat was that he attempted either the f- most or the second most through balls of any Premier League player last season. Most, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like forty something. Yeah. Incredible. Um, I'm just trying to find a message from my friend Chris, who I've mentioned many times on this podcast before. Normally, indeed, you know, I'd listen to my mate Chris, <laughs> but he's, he basically said. Um, Thursday night. I'm trying to get my head around having to support someone that I hate. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'll go so far as to say I hate David Lewis, but I have to say that now because he's an Arsenal player. Um, before then, he, he would obviously look at him as a bit of a shithouser. But I think he is a good player. Um, interestingly, one of my friends, Ray, is a Chelsea season ticket holder, and he said, mm. he said to me, He's uh, lost a bit of pace over the last couple of years. And, um, well, it's interesting. People seem to think he's got mistakes in him, but actually there's only been two or three that have resulted in goals in the last couple of years. I can't remember the exact stat. Um, well, it's, I think it's partly because, like, when he when he makes a mistake, he go. He, I mean, he doesn't fuck about. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, his... his he doesn't make as many mistakes as he has a reputation for, certainly, and probably makes less now than he did earlier in his career when he was even more of an impulsive player. But, but yeah, I mean, there was a couple of mistakes he made last season, like the one for, like, what was he doing against Spurs when, you know, obviously we enjoyed it because yeah. he was a Chelsea, playing for Chelsea player then, it was quite funny. But <laughs> So it's, it's quite interesting because, like, I think from most of my mates that watch football, they're like, oh, my God. What have Arsenal done? Um, apart from the Chelsea season ticket holder, um, who might be in a position to know slightly more than he might be. <laughs> but uh, what was I going to say? The one thing that I have in the back of my head is the idea of him and Socrates being a partnership together could be a little bit spiky, a bit card heavy. You suggest? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> who knows? It might be genius. And it's only for two years, isn't it? 
yeah, think, yeah. as a signing to get us to Saliba coming in and then maybe helping him to settle in next season. Uh, um, I'm, ca- I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I mean, I have to admit, I mean, this is, it, it's, I suppose it's my brand, uh, but, but uh, I'm more than cautiously optimistic. I'm quite buzzing about it. I think it's a, I think for the position we were in, where we were like, we'd, you know, we'd tried to get Regani on loan, but Juventus wanted us to guarantee that we're going to buy him regardless after two years, which obviously anyone would be mad to agree to, unless it's someone that you're very confident is going to hit the ground and be a success. Uh, or, you know, Leipzig were like, yeah, we'll send you in Picano if you give us 80 million in Emil Smith Rowe. Yeah. And, and we're like, hmm, maybe fuck that shit. Um, and I think with a day left uh, and your, your most experienced centre half, is leaving or has left and he's forced his way out of the club and you've got another defender that is basically his relationship with the fans is completely broken down and his confidence is shot You and you and everyone else is like kids apart from Socrates you, and you need someone to, to get a player of David Luiz's quality yes he may be slightly past his absolute peak but to get someone of his quality for 8 million quid out and simultaneously weaken a rival um, and and you know, as this guy has some serious silverware under his belt. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, he's he's won what two or three European trophies. He's won the league, obviously. He's uh, won the Confederations Cup with with Brazil. Yeah, okay. He, he had a meltdown in the World Cup semi final against Germany. But to be fair, that Brazil team was never going to beat that Germany team at that point in time, anyway. Um, and I, and, and I particularly, you know, what you alluded to in terms of his being so comfortable on the ball, I think that adds a massive element to Arsenal. Because last season we saw, you know, when uh, when Holding got injured, our form dropped off. And of course, it was partly because what he brings defensively, Holding has a, a quite a lot of calm to his game, which I think our defence benefits from, which is, yeah. sort of, uh, which is sort of the anti-Mustafi, who is a sort of more physically dynamic defender, but certainly not nearly as a composed one. But... Also, Holding's a pretty, pretty good passer of the ball. You know, he's not he's not Ronald Koeman or anything like that, but he's a decent passer of the ball for a centre half. Um, and then when that happened, when he got injured, suddenly we didn't have a defender who could play the ball reliably out from the back. You know, Socrates and Mustafi they're not they're not useless on the ball, but they're not. You know, they're okay. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're the sort of defenders that people would have called a ball playing centre half twenty years ago, before the people actually worked out that centre halves can actually pass too. Um, like the shock when suddenly Steve Bold and Tony Adams were spraying forty yard passes, and you're like, "Where the fuck did that come from?" But um, David Luiz will be the best long passer in our squad. Uh, you know, I mean, Granite Jack is obviously a very good long passer as well, but David Luiz has been doing you know, doing that at a very high level with, with great effectiveness, effectiveness for a long period of time, as we alluded to statistically. And I think that, as we seem to be set, setting up in a more a defend, a more offensive, sorry, uh, lineup this season, you know, with bringing Pepe in and looking more like we're going to be playing this four two three one having a, a defender who can actually do the playing out from the back thing that Emery wants to do and actually do so very well, I think is going to really add to what we have going forward, quite apart from the fact he's still a decent centre-half defensively. So, um, Also, he's a strong character, which I like. I mean, he's maybe a bit of a nutter, um, but 
you know, he's for better or worse, he's he's not someone that hides and he's not someone who often passes the buck. Um so I, I you know, I'm optimistic, you know. Yes, equally it could be a case and in six months' time he he looks like a busted flush. But, you know, at the end of the day he's not as you say, he's not a long term signing, he's a signing for now. Uh he's a signing to help us to get back into the top four. That's the point of the signing. Um, so I'm I'm very pleased that I think given where the club was at I think they did very very well to get him in and I would also have to say as a little ha ha moment uh, it'd be fair to say that Chelsea's defence may have missed his distribution away at Old Trafford <clears throat> seeing Kurt Zuma commit technical suicide uh, on a couple of occasions was quite amusing um, so uh, sort of looking beyond that obviously we haven't spoken since uh, Nicola Pepe came into the club. I mean, what, did you, what the fuck did you make of that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited. Um, I didn't get to show much yesterday. He seems to be penned in by about three defenders every time he got the ball. But um, I think if Aubameyang, if the likes of Aubameyang and Lacazette are excited about it, which we could tell on social media that they were, yeah, um, it's and I, I can't remember what Aubameyang was quoted as saying in the standard tonight, but it was, it was along the lines of crazy. I think yeah. um, they're excited. I'm excited uh, again. I've watched. I've actually done. Little bit of background, and I actually watched some clips for a change. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, the boy can finish and he, he's quick, and that, you know, we've been crying out for a winger on this podcast for what's it? at least two and a half years now, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about Alex Awobi in a second. Yeah, um, yeah. Very, very excited to see this guy in action once he's um, up to full speed. I think one of the things that's so exciting about Pepe, and obviously we talked about him a bit last week, so we're not going to go on for it for too much. But you know, for the, in recent years, Arsenal have had wingers who can either run with the ball or run without the ball, but not many that could effectively do both. Yeah, and there's one thing that you see in all the clips of Pepe, all the different compilations. One thing you can tell really, really very early on is somewhere over the last couple of years, you know, since he moved from Angers, he he went from being a player that could run with the ball to being a player that could run without the ball as well. And his movement off the ball is fantastic. And I'm personally really excited to see. You know, that's something which, you know, if you've got David Luiz playing bombs from 70 yards to an out-to-in wide man with pace and a good first touch, you know, I mean, Pedro got a few goals last season just off the basis of that. And obviously Pedro is a fantastic off-the-ball player. You know, he has limitations elsewhere, but his movement off the ball has always been fantastic. And Pepe's got a bit of that, but also, as alluded to, he, he can beat a man. And also, he's a decent distributor of the ball, you know. Um, I think, in a way, people are going to be surprised by... I think people are going to expect him to be more sort of explosive and running around, rings around people than he actually will be. I think I think what makes him so effective, or made him so effective in France, we'll have to see how it adapts, is the fact that 
he he really mixes it up so he can do the movement off the ball he can run with the ball or he can stop play hold it up just tidily keep possession and spread play you know he's he's quite a multifunctional footballer for a wide man which I think is going to give us so many more options because um, we haven't really had a wide player that can do all of the above apart from Alexis who is a very different sort of player but had had was a multifunctional footballer for sure um, yeah but before that, since Bobby Perez, obviously, I mean, I'm not going to suggest he's going to be as successful as Bobby Perez, but there you had a player that, without being that quick, could beat people, was good off the ball, and could play a pass, um, obviously to a very high level. Um, and and that's, that's, for me, what makes this signing so exciting, because it kind of means that however the team evolves from here, because obviously we've got a few, a few of our key players, you know, Ozil, Aubameyang, Lacazette, they're not spring chickens yeah they're still operating you know our strikers are operating at a very high level but you know inevitably give it three or four years they're not going to be at the club whether it's because their contracts run down whether it's because their games drop off whether it's because they don't run sign new contracts and get sold whatever but in Pepe you've got a player that should theoretically as long as there's as long as there's teammates who can pick a pass and teammates that can make good runs off the ball, he should be able to fit in with a lot of different types of teammate, and that for me future proofs him a little bit, which I think is what yeah. makes it such a good investment. So you know, I'm excited by this shit, man. Yeah. How, how can you not be? I mean, I think the last time we spoke, you know, the uh, weekend, the year just happened. Yeah. I was feeling a little bit negative about where we were. Um, Josh Conkey's being excited. Hats off, really. I mean, Arsenal have addressed every issue that they needed to um, when we went into this summer. I think whether you agree with what they've done, what they have done, is another issue. Um, but I don't really... I mean, most Arsenal fans are well behind what's happened this summer. Well, I mean, when, yeah, I mean, when was it, it? I mean, I think it was literally in about 2002 or 2003 was the last time we went out and went, we need players in these positions. I know we'll buy one for each of these positions. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. This is like sensible signings that would make entire sense to even people watching the game. I, I did wonder to myself how much of this, uh, obviously, you know, I've obviously bagged at Arsene Wenger a lot over the last couple of years. But I did find myself wondering how much of this summer is the product of having someone in Raul Sanlehi who actually has contacts elsewhere in the world of football and replacing that sort of David Dean role where when even Gazidis came in, he was just a lawyer from the MLS, basically. Yeah. And who was he in terms of elite football? Um, I don't know how much of that is. No, I, I think I, I think you've raised something extremely relevant because it's not just that Raul Sanier he's got contacts. I mean, we know that you know. I mean, it's we know that it's we were also being linked with getting players on loan from Barcelona because of his contacts there. You know, no doubt it probably greased the wheels on the Ceballos thing. You know, he clearly knows how to work a room. You know, you, yeah. you you know, as the more footage that has kind of emerged of him over the last, thing, you can tell he's just good at being 
chipper and upbeat and liked by people partly because he's got that slightly roguish element about him you know he sounds like he smokes 40 Rothmans and he looks like he's done a lot of partying you know he's got that kind of vibe about him um, he probably has yeah We're, Whereas Gazidis didn't give off any of those particular, you know, Gazidis, you, you know, was good at creating the illusion of being confident and smooth and competent, but he 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 wasn't an instantly likable figure. No. I think I think Sanya, he, you know, you, you probably wouldn't buy a used car off him, but he's quite he's got he's he's quite charming. But on top of that, I think the other element of, of that is. With uh, with Arsene and Dick Law and Gazidas going, the club has been willing to, shall we say, step into dirtier waters in terms of dealings with agents. And, you know, the fact that they brought in, uh, although Kia Jarabchan has been involved, which has partly made the David Luiz thing happened, the fact they got, I can't remember the, which, uh, I, thought, I think it may have even been Jorge Mendes involved on in, in making the Pepe deal happen. You know, yes, it means... Right, I didn't know that. Yeah, apparently he was like the, the intermediary sort of figure, uh, and, because, and you know you can guarantee if some if he's getting to get five million quid for doing for trying to grease the wheels, he's going to be giving it some good chat, isn't he? Yeah. And yes, it is. It does feel sort of morally bankrupt in some some ways, but it is the reality of modern football that everyone else is every other club in the world of any size has been doing for years. And there's no doubt that, you know, it has its merits and its demerits, but its merits are you can get access to getting things done in a way that is easier and quicker and has slightly more reach and clout. It does mean that you end up spending more money and it does mean that you end up kind of sometimes getting your hands a little bit mucky. But um, I, for me, it's a, another representation of the of the club's willingness to kind of, okay, well... Was only so much moral high ground you can you can take uh, while shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, we've been on the moral high ground since like two thousand and six. It's a shit place to be, really, isn't it? Well, it's a shit place to be unless you're unless you're genuinely better than everyone else. But if you're yeah. if if you're if, we haven't been well exactly if if the moral, <laughs> if taking the moral high ground directly leads to you getting repeatedly fucked over again and again and again and again. Uh, you end up becoming a little bit more flexible without such things, or you end up becoming bitter. <laughs> and at Arsenal, yeah. we've done quite a lot of both. <laughs> we have, we have. That's true. Um, so obviously, before we kind of look at the window as a whole, we have to look at some of the outgoings because they've they've been outgoings. Um, I mean, we, we got we managed to get five million quid for Kishelny despite his best efforts to fuck us totally. Um, we got. Well, what rumoured to be anywhere between 28 and 40 million for Alex Iwobi, depending on who you believe. Um, and uh, that, that uh, approaching 10 million for Christian Bielek, and, and very surprisingly, rumoured to be 3 million for a reserve left back, Dominic Thompson, which I thought was a very good piece of business. My favourite transfer of the window, and I'll tell you why. My mate Gabs is a Brentford fan, and he thought that they'd signed him for free. <laughs> and he found out they'd had to spend three million quid on him. And I was like, yeah, we're not that football club anymore, mate. This is new times. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because you're right. Exactly right. You can guarantee two years ago he'd have left for nothing. The club would have yeah. been the club would have been like, well, he's not really in our plans. And someone else wants to give him a career. Whereas, you know, I mean, is it? 
it's a, a really interesting also illustration of the impact of um, giving players exposure to the first team squad because here's a player that that basically had been okay under 18 level you know kind of kept up but not more than that okay under 23 level uh, caught out a bit played a few games into last season bizarrely at like number 10 which totally which confused everyone because he was a left back and then he played uh, but didn't look like he was going to get anywhere near the first team played a couple of pre-season friendlies where he looked really good credit to him and the next thing you know he's off to we get three million quid for him which is you know okay he might turn out to be the next Ashley Carlin will feel like fucking idiots but but given what he's shown to date that's good business you know that's you know selling him for three million quid pays for the next year or two of the academy's existence or the next year of the academy uh, which of course will produce more assets for the club whether we retain them or or not uh, but obviously in this transfer window we've done a bit of not retaining them um, so I have to ask yeah. I have to ask on top of that what did you make of the sailing of Christian Bielik given his impressive loan spell at Charlton etc it was at Charlton um, I'm sort of a bit more that we've got 10 million quid for someone that um they weren't even playing in the championship last season, were they? Um, no. You know, he may well go. My uncle was uh, quite optimistic about Bielik's chances at Arsenal um, a few years ago. And he may turn out to be someone that Arsenal uh, come to a great letting go. But, <laughs> you know, the path to the Arsenal first team is... Um, it's quite a difficult one and I think there's a difference between being impressive in League One and doing it week in, week out in the Premier League. And he probably wasn't going to get that chance. So I think he had a year left on his contract. Yeah, well. a year left and also it made it pretty clear that if he wasn't going to be in the first team squad, he was off. Yeah, so I don't really see what Arsenal could have done differently and they've just maximised the guy's value as best they can. So... Yeah, I mean, essentially, yeah. it's one of those things that you can be a little bit disappointed because there's a, a promising young player that looked good, you know, at the age groups and internationally, um, you know, that you thought might have a chance. And then you can reflect the fact that selling him has allowed us to buy David Luiz and pay for a decent chunk of David Luiz's salary for the next year as well. Yeah. <laughs> Which suddenly makes it a lot more palatable. Um, I suppose the, the more... Well, more surprising uh, sale. I mean, there's not there's not really much we can say about the Koscielny one, except for we can be pleased that the club didn't just bend over and take it like they used to do in the old days and actually got some kind of fee for him. But oh, we do have to talk about the uh, the unveiling video. Prick. Like I was going to say, like and not you. No, I was just going to say, like how. But the thing is, he obviously didn't make the unveiling video, so. I mean, obviously, he agreed to do it, which doesn't, which which isn't, which doesn't look good. But like, how fucking cunty, excuse my language, are Bordeaux? <laughs> I think um, they're, they're just they're just like, okay, Lauren, you've done a good job, but let's fully burn the rest of those remaining bridges. <laughs> yeah, some I, I saw a tweet. Someone said that we were looking at it in the wrong way, and Bordeaux were really excited to have signed someone like Lauren Koscielny. He's very well regarded in France. I'm sure. I'm Arsenal, sure that's true. because of Arsene Wenger, obviously, I mean, they were seen as that, as if they were a French team for a few years. So, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, from that perspective, I, I can understand that. But, I mean, bearing in mind what's gone on this summer, it, yeah, I've, well, as I said to you three weeks ago, Arsenal, Arsenal's captain behaving like he has was out of order, in my opinion, and I thought it was a disgrace. Um, I wouldn't say I thought the unveiling was a disgrace, but it definitely leaves a sour taste in the mouth. Um, well, it's, it's one of those things that, like, you know, if a player leaves when they're not necessarily wanted to leave, it's always going to be a bit uncomfortable. Uh, if it, if there's a slightly risque unveiling, that's going to be uncomfortable. But you don't do that unveiling on the back of <laughs> on the back of what had happened, unless yeah, exactly and, and, unless you just don't give a shit anymore, which of course is entirely possible. Um, but it's kind of it, it's interesting because of course you compare it to what Arsenal did with Kieran Tierney. And then, you know, the invading of the team was all about let's big up how much he fucking loved Celtic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's partly because he was going to get pelters off Celtic fans. And let's face it, he's got friends and family in Glasgow. But, you know, if he yeah. hadn't been. But... Can he ever go home again? <laughs> well, of course he can because, you know, uh, I mean, it's been interesting seeing the divisions in the Celtic fan base. You know, some of them are just like, you know, good on your lads. You've got your, you know, you've done everything you could with us and you've got your big move. And others are you know furious about it and feeling like why didn't you stay for 10 in a row you know you could have been a legend now you're nothing kind of thing which you can it's quite interesting isn't it because i think 15 years ago if he'd made that move arsenal would well, obviously i mean celtic are a massive club and of course their their fans think they're a massive club but 15 years ago arsenal were a massive club and they're possibly the best club in team in europe yeah. at the time um whereas now it's like oh um Moving to that club that's actually playing in the Europa League next season, they haven't, they've won a few FA Cups, but haven't done very much in the last fifteen years. Um, you can sort of understand Celtic fans being a little bit upset by it, I think. But it's also, in a way, it's it's them being a victim of their own success. In that, if you're playing in a league where basically to not win everything every year, you have to properly fuck up. Yeah, you know that. That's if you're a young player who's on an upward trajectory. That there must be a point where that starts to become a bit like, well, okay, but <laughs> like you, you you can't get. You know, I, I guess it's that thing as if you're an ambitious person, even if it's not ambition for 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 objects or ambition for achievement, but you know, you should have ambition to try and get better at what you do, and in sure. that and in that environment. That was never going to happen because he was already the best left back in Scotland. He was already playing in a team that were going to walk the league most years. You know, where's the challenge? What can what could he do to yeah, improve yeah, yeah, yeah. that environment? And I think some I think some of the fans totally recognise that, and some of them obviously don't want to recognise that because <laughs> Celtic are a big club. They're historically a big club. They've won a European Cup. They've been dominant in their own league, but it's partly financial because of TV money and making. But it's also partly that you know. If you're playing in a, dare I say it, slightly second-rate league and you're totally dominant in that, there's got to come a point where that ceases to be quite so exciting. <laughs> anyway, that's that's what I think. So, there. Yeah, I think you're probably right, mate. So, we have to talk about Alex Iwobi. <laughs> um, uh, I'm guessing you've ha- had some of the sort of same reaction as me of being sort of torn between it sort of makes sense but I'm still very sad (laughs) 
Yeah, I think um, I think we were both fans of the lads, and um, you know, the he was at Arsenal from a young age uh, since two thousand and three, four. I think. So, yeah, since um, he was six. That's a long time at one football club, and. So I've said it before. I, I don't think there's anyone out there that is as Arsenal as Alex Awobi is. Um, so it's, it's sad for us that he's going. I think the only thing you'd say is that Arsenal have made a lot of money out of an academy product. Someone who did only score three goals last season. I saw him. I saw him score one, which was nice. Um, I think if Everton can figure out the best way of using him, that they they've They've got two of my Everton mates. I've, made, I've almost certainly mentioned this before. Two of my best mates are Everton fans. Mm-hmm. One of them doesn't really have an opinion on that away because he hasn't watched enough of Arsenal to say, whereas my mate Luke is uh, not horrified, but dubious at the amount of money that Everton have spent on him. And I've said to him, I think you've, you've got a better player than you think you're getting. Um, but ultimately... I think for us, we've always said, you know, Iwobi could turn into a good player. He's not at the level of Lacazette and Aubameyang and Arsenal sort of needs someone to be at that level or near that level. And I think that's what Nicholas, they've obviously brought Nicola Pepe thinking that he could be that player. Um, And Iwobi probably hasn't quite kicked on enough. I, I think he... Uh, Tim Stillman wrote an interesting piece that I read earlier today. But I, I think he's probably right. If uh, Arsenal had been able to find buyers for Mkhitaryan and or Ozil, perhaps the way we would still be at the football club, but uh, yeah. they weren't able to do that. Yeah, if they could have sold Mkhitaryan, they, they would not have sold Iwobi. And we all know the club would have preferred to have sold Mkhitaryan. But how do you shift someone on those wages whose form's up and down like a like a roller coaster within <laughs> within games, let alone let alone well, over the right. course of a season, and, and right. we'll, we'll get on to that, no doubt. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's also the thing of like a lot of us were kind of who were kind of more sort of pro Iwobi were sort of like, well, we think it'd be a lot more effective as a transition player in the midfield, possibly part of a midfield three, or possibly a sort of deeper version of a ten if we're playing really attacking and you know front three. Um, but then, of course some things have happened over the last few months which have made the likelihood of that being an option slightly less, even though I do still think he could be very effective there, in that, well, firstly, you know, with, with Pepe arriving, partly we needed to sell somebody, um, but also uh, it meant that Iwobi was not our only ball carrier anymore. But also you look at those players who either arrived at the club or have merged at the club, you know, we've got... We've got Ceballos on loan, who can be that ball-carrying central midfield to further forward pivot player that we're sort of looking at as it will be. And yes, he's only here for a season, but who knows what, what happens after that. We've got Joe Willock, the emergence of Joe Willock, who suddenly looks like a proper player, uh, who's who can, who basically looks like he can fill the role, not quite the same way, but you know, not in as, not as much of a sort of dribbling player, but fill a part of the role that we were envisaging that could be a great success for Iwobi. Joe yeah. Wicks, Joe Wicks just turned up and gone, well, actually, I can do most of that. And you're like, oh. And then on top of that, we've got, um, you know, there's Martinelli who can play out left. 
uh, and has done so some success in Brazil, who's arrived. And Reese Nelson's come back from loan, and he's clearly a wide player that lacks the power and the dribbling of Iwobi, but has a little more technical ability when it comes to the playing passes and crosses and and to a certain and possibly shooting. We don't know so much about that yet. And so it's a thing of. I'm I'm really sad to see him go because he's an Arsenal boy. He's been at the club for so long, and he's an Arsenal fan. And you know we've seen him develop, and he seems like such a lovely bloke as well, basically. But at the same time, you're kind of looking at it, going, he'd get games this season, but he wouldn't get as many games as he should at this point in his career, given yeah. that, given that Pepe's arrived, and given that it looks like Aubameyang might be playing more on the flanks as the season goes on. But on top of that. We're also trying to factor in the fact we need to make sure there's a pathway to get some games for for Nelson, for Willock, for Martinelli, for Emil Smith-Rowe. So it's sort of, it gets, then you're sort of thinking, well, you can keep Iwobi as that rotational reserve kind of player, but then what happens to those other players? And so that's why why I say it's it's a sale that makes me sad, but makes total bloody sense. Uh, you know, if you're looking at it strategically, it's the kind of thing, you know, if you're playing a football manager with your head rather than your heart, you'd, you'd do. Because you've got your, you know, you've got your young regens equivalent coming up and you've got your first team players that still haven't dropped off enough to give them guaranteed game time. So, so I mean, it is what it is. And, I mean, as I say, there seems to be some discrepancy about the reported final figure, but it appears to be an initial payment of uh, approximately thirty million, with the, with the chance to rise to either thirty-five or forty, depending on various, you know, add-ons, tick boxes, blah 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 blah. Um, and I guess it's that's quite hard to turn down for a player that isn't ever really going to be first choice. Yeah. Um, even if the fact he's homegrown gives him a, a price premium, and of course. We like him. <laughs> I heard myself say last week, well, we sold David Roadcastle once upon a time. <laughs> Touche. Uh, although, <laughs> although Rocky had achieved more, but also had more buggered knees as well. Indeed. But it is that thing of, you know, football, football fans can have sentimentality in, the, in a way that the managers can't. And I think... Again, this is a player that where Arsene Wenger's still at the club, we'd probably kept him. Um, but he isn't. And it's, you know, Arsenal being run basically the way we've wanted Arsenal to be run for a while now. And also it's it's such a contrast with, I mean, you look at, you know, the young players we've had in the squad who've been around the squad that we've had question marks about or doubts about or kind of like, will they ever get their kind of players who had inflated market value because they're homegrown or whatever. And we just let them go. We let we waited until they were totally busted flushes and then let them go for peanuts or for nothing. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen that happen so many times over the last decade that this is a situation where you're like, well, even if he goes on to be a better player for than he was for us and ends up, being a great success for them, we end up slightly regretting the sale. At least it's sort of proactive rather than, or not proactive, but it's kind of active rather than passive. Yeah. You know, it's not just waiting and waiting and waiting and, and hoping. And as I say, I, I do think that the the landscape uh, for, around the club that would have made him a really important player to keep has changed. Even though I still think there'll be times this season where we'll miss him. 
Um, not as much as it would have, not as much as we thought we would if we were presented the same scenario two months ago. Yeah, I, th- I think as well when we signed Pepe, my my uncle messaged me was like, "Oh, I'm concerned about how this would impact Reese Nelson's game time." So I messaged him when the away v news came through. I was like, "Well, there's your space for Reese Nelson. Now let's hope he doesn't have a bad game in ever." Yeah. Um, my uncle was always a little bit down on the way being I thought it's a little bit unfair um, bearing in mind he's still quite young um, but I do see the point that he could look a little bit rabbit in the headlights at times was he going to get much better than he already is and ultimately do these kids Willock and Nelson have have a higher ceiling than Iwabi and the answer to that looks like may well be yes um, well, certainly they've always been more highly thought of at their relevant age groups than Awobi was right up until the time when Awobi suddenly kind of took a massive leap forward in the under-23s and suddenly became like the player, the next one in for the first team. A bit like yeah. Willock, but Willock was always slightly more highly thought of on the way up. Um, and I guess that's partly down to the fact that fundamentally there are certain parts of Awobi's game which are technically a bit lacking. Um, you know, he, he he hasn't got the look. He hasn't. He's not a consistent finisher. He's not the most consistent crosser. Uh, his decision making in the final third is either fantastic or awful, and those are things which, at younger age groups, these other players have shown slightly more of. But yeah. we all know that, that that last hurdle completely changes a player's uh, possibilities. But you know. Um, I mean, just before we sort of sum up the transfer window as a whole, of course, that's related to the fact that Eddie Nketi has gone on load to Leeds. And I wanted to know what you made of that. Um, I hadn't seen as much of Nketi as you have. Um, I think that probably, as, as hopefully he'll play for Leeds. Again, I've got a couple of Leeds. So I was like, look after him for us, please, will we? as if they're responsible. But um, I think if he can get a season playing first-team football regularly, that will do him the world of good. Um, And we'll wait to see what happens when he comes back, I guess. Um, I think probably the fact that we signed Martinelli, um, he can be a backup forward for Lacazette and Aubameyang. Um, He's probably not going to be as successful as those two, but mm. uh, I'm not sure Enketia would have been either. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's a positive thing, basically. I mean, you, I, I'm slightly torn, but overall I do agree it's a positive thing. I think I think the one thing that Eddie Enketia has shown in all his game time in an Arsenal first team shirt is he could, you know, he's He's got so much there, but he just needs a period of having done it at the top, at a proper pro level, at a high level club. Uh, because he always, he for the Arsenal first time, he always plays like he's trying just that little bit too hard, or doesn't have quite the same composure you've seen with him at lower youth, at lower levels. You know, it, you, you go down the age groups, and he looks like he looks like a dead-eyed killer. But in the first team, he's he's always like not a little bit rushed. But you can tell his movement's fantastic, and he's quick, and he's got got a little bit stronger, and he's you know his work rate is really upped in a big way. So he's you know, I mean, I, I very much enjoyed him seeing 
him run rings round Nicholas Schurler in that preseason game against Bayern Munich after coming off the bench late late on absolutely tore him a new one which was quite very enjoyable to see um <laughs> And I think there will be times this season where we'll miss him because I think he is further ahead than Martinelli, uh, although a different sort of player. But I think also what made us possibly willing to loan him out for the season is not just the long-term strategy view, which I think is has to be the primary consideration, um, but also the fact that Tyrese John-Jules in pre-season looked like he could contribute, particularly as a, in a two or as a slightly deeper forward behind one of the others. And so, and, and and also there was some doubts for a while whether Tyrese John Jules was going to stay at the club or whether he's going to do the same as as Javier Amici and force his way out. Um, who's now gone to Burton for two point five million plus add-ons. Um, oh yes, we also raised some money for uh, Ishmael Benesez moved to uh, AC Milan, which is quite funny because I'd forgotten he'd even played for the Arsenal team. Um, but. Uh, so I think I think John Jules A they had to promise him a pathway to get him to sign that contract B I think he's not a, an out and out goal scorer in the way that Nketiah is but he is a very interesting sort of player because he's quite big he, you know as well as being quick and um, but he's got decent size to him and he's capable of either playing up top or being the, the deeper lying forward and I think he's his development has meant that we think okay if, if if we let Nketiah go, we've got two young lads that have got a chance of having an impact if we need them in, you know, League Cup, FA Cup, Europa League, that sort of thing. So I think that makes it easier. But I'm still dead excited about Nketiah. And it, what I've found really enjoyable is, like, it seems that most Leeds fans are, like, well up for it. <laughs> um, they're really excited to have him, which I think, you know, both people that I've seen online, but also people I know personally are Leeds fans. Yeah, my mates are, actually. Yeah, so I think it's I think it's a really good thing um, because we know you know the crowd's going to be on his side. It's going to be playing in a high pressure environment, but a very supportive environment. Um, and also, the one thing that Leeds need more than anything other is a goal scorer because they sold Kimar Roof uh, from who was who was doing very well last season. Um, but also, uh, Patrick Bamford's their main forward. And I don't know if you've seen much of Patrick Bamford down the years, apart from the fact he's not a bit, recently. Yeah, I mean he's still a snide little shit, same as he always was. <laughs> but uh, which which was confirmed to me by two Leeds fans I've spoken to in the last week. <laughs> so it's not just me saying that, but also he's like not very quick, not a particularly goal-scoring type kind of striker in terms of being you know clinical. So there's a real chance for Inketia to kind of have a massive chance to be the main man at a big club who are pushing for promotion uh, as a 20-year-old. I mean, fucking great. <laughs> um, but I've, I've got great, really high hopes for Nketiah. I think he just needs to get that confidence and composure at the top level, and he could be a real player for us, I think. Um, reminds me a little bit, actually, of when I saw... God, this is going back, Jesus. Uh, when I saw Andy Cole's debut for Arsenal before he got sold to Bristol City... Whereas a striker, like he's quick, he's got a bit of strength about him. His movement off the ball's great, finishing a bit erratic. Um, yeah. But you know, Andy Cole did out a decent career, didn't he? <laughs> he certainly did. Yeah. Um, so okay. Um, so with taking all that into account, how would you how would you wrap up? How would you uh, sum up the transfer window as you see it? 
Uh, well, as I said earlier, I mean, we addressed every need we had to address, and um, I, you, I don't think you can really fault anything that happened. Um, you know, I've already said it, sad to see away we go, but understand why. Um, nice to see us actually selling players from uh, below the first team rather than letting them walk out and freeze or just giving them away. Uh, so for me, it's um, nine out of ten. Yeah. I think with the squad as it is now, um, Unai Emery really won't have many excuses if he doesn't finish in the top four this season. Yeah. No, I'm I'm pretty much with you. I mean, it's that it is. I mean, I have to say, it's uh, it's gone from being. I'm loving the you know the Twitter sphere going from being like a month ago, kind of like weak hair to you. All these fucking American owners, uh, this new lot are all talk. No one ever seen you know the shit, the the Q and A meeting. It's like you can talk, can't you? Uh, and then and then now it's and now it's a fucking Raul Senya he memes. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> across I'm, I'm quite the internet. like the uh, better cool. Soul meme that's been going around, but as someone who studied Spanish, the fact that yeah, the, Saul does not quite rhyme with Raul. No, it doesn't it, quite. Has annoyed me a little bit. It's just a pedantic little thing niggling me. Um, but still, uh, yeah, it, it, in the spirit, it's when it's it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's very funny seeing Raul Sanya. He's in in the space of about four months has gone from being who is this guy who used to work for Nike to being like second only to Ornstein in kind of meme central. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and like to the point where even like wankers of Arsenal fan TV are kind of like bigging him up at his as his car goes past, saying "You've saved our club." And, and of course, he just sits yeah. there going, <laughs> like never so. in any doubt, as a <laughs> yeah. famous Arsenal man once said. Indeed, indeed. Indeed. So, of course, that led us to the opening gate day of the season, which we won't. I've intentionally spent more time on the rest because, let's face it, it was quite a dull game. Well, do you know, I found it quite interesting. I was um, listening to the commentators towards the end of the first half yesterday, and they were so negative. And I thought to myself, yeah, it hadn't been brilliant. Um, Newcastle had had a couple of chances. We had the uh, chance that. Mkhitaryan in his one moment of genius in a sea of absolute shit. <laughs> Eat up for Bamiyan very nicely and Bamiyan was unlucky not to score. Um, but Arsenal, to see Arsenal play the way they did yesterday, bearing in mind there were two teenagers in the starting lineup. Um, two English ones one for of, the first time in 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we had... Untold players. There were like eight players that are genuine first team players that weren't in the starting lineup. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, we went away. There were no alarms, no surprises. Yeah, it wasn't a great game. It was belting down. Mm. First game of the season. I mean, if you're expecting Arsenal to go and win 4 0 at Newcastle on the opening day of the season with all those players missing. What fucking football team have you been watching for the last three years? I mean, seriously. I just, I couldn't believe it. And I'm generally, like, a lot of people say to me, oh, but I know Alex Nettleton, but bloody hell, he's annoying. And I'm normally, I, I quite like Smudge, and I think he's quite bright, quite like his sense of humour. But yesterday I was listening to him, you're mad. You're absolutely mad. Um, if Arsenal play like that away from home for the rest of the season, I'd take into account the fact that Newcastle aren't the great team. 
I'd be delighted to see Arsenal play like that. They, they looked to me like they were more worried about not conceding a goal um, yeah. in the first half. Brilliant. The crowd, I know there was like 5,000 people missing from the stadium or whatever. And they went to St. James's, which is like, well, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Genuinely one of the more raucous stadiums in the Premier League when the fans get on top of it. Um, the crowd was silent because Newcastle weren't doing anything. Um, I personally think I'd take 19 away performances like that. Obviously, I'd see Arsenal play a little bit better, but I think in the circumstances, and I, I like what Emery did. I saw a bit of criticism of him on Football 365, where they're like, oh, he should have tied with the strongest team. But uh, if you've given the likes of Callum Chambers and Reese Nelson and Joe Willock chances in pre-season and they've been part of the team, and then you take them out to play players that are half fit or have had one training session with them, what message does that send? And actually, Joe Willock played really well and we looked worse when he came off. Reese Nelson played very well. An advanced role, he, his past completion stats were in the top five for the team. Um, I don't know what more you could have wanted yesterday, other than more goals. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, I don't criticise the performance, but it was, in a way, it was slightly dull because everyone in our team, apart from Mkhitaryan, but who still had his moments, but everyone played pretty well. Yeah. And normally this is an Arsenal team where, like, you know, there'll be four people getting eight out of ten and the rest of them are getting, like, five out of ten. Or, you know, it's kind of, it feels more disjointed and therefore it's easier to kind of talk about at length. Whereas this is like, yeah, everyone played quite well. No I mean, one no one was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> well, Ainsley was. Well, I mean, I mean he, he had, certainly, I mean, that, that interception and pass for the goal was just like, yeah, go on, my son. I mean, I was really pleased with him because obviously he had that slightly embarrassing few minutes in Barcelona. Uh, yeah. Having been really good in the first half against them and then, oops. Um, but also, you know, obviously after the penalty in the Europa League final, what have you, and, you know, dickheads giving him a hard time because he's still learning how to play fullback and what have you. So I was really glad that he was, like, able to have a moment to show. And this is why I'm playing at this level in this team because I can yeah. do this and most people can't <laughs> um, and, and you know I mean you've you know how much I like him as a player and, you know I sometimes wish he was a bit more demonstrative or switch or kind of switched on but when he's on he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great player I think um, and- it's quite interesting I, I saw our old friend Lewis tweeting after the game where people have been saying I've been one of them obviously um, Adam and the right back is not his position and Lewis said well what if what if it actually is his position um, you know if he plays like that for the next few months Hector Bellerin's going to have a job on his hands well, I mean I think he will get of course he'll get back into the team at some stage but it may not be the foregone conclusion it felt like four or five months ago well I mean that's the thing is it's not his position but Obviously, the more he does it, the more it will become his position. Yeah. And it's more his position now than it was a year ago. <laughs> yes. In- inevitably. Um, and more importantly, it's the position where he can play every week, which at this stage in his career is the most important thing. You know, he's not going to lose all of those abilities that made him an exciting midfield prospect. 
you know, at the end of the day, having a, having a player who is good enough to get regular game time in a couple of different positions is a, is 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 really incredibly useful for a manager in a squad, but also quite good for their own career because it means they're going to get a lot of game time throughout the course of the season and more chance to develop more completely. Um, you know, I mean, hey, Michael Thomas started out as a right back and it didn't do bad for him. Um, so, so, so did Steven Gerrard. But, <laughs> um, so, you know, there's there's plenty of time for him to move him into midfield later if if that's what suits the club best. But if he can learn to be a really effective right back more regularly, then that solves a lot of problems for the team. Um, and also, crucially, it means we're not going to be rushing Hector back and risking his further injury, which is... I mean, I do agree with you that anyone that was complaining about the team put out uh, yesterday... It is basically stupid and doesn't understand how football works or how squad management works because you don't play players who've had no pre-season unless you really lack a choice or unless it's such a big game that you're kind of like, well, we just need the best players on the pitch because it's a really high-pressure game and it's really high-quality opponents. If you've got, uh, if you're playing against a team where the greatest challenge the opposition is going to give you is mostly going to be physical rather than technical or tactical, then you pick your fittest players at this point yeah. in the season. And given that none of the players that might not be first choice were, were bad, and none of them had been bad in pre-season, none of them have given you reason not to pick them. So it just doesn't make... So it's an argument that makes absolutely zero sense at all. Um, so, yeah, I'm totally with you. Um, I mean, what, what did you... I mean... I have to say, firstly, it's great that there was a game where we had three di- three separate academy products on the pitch uh, starting yeah. a game, which is quite exciting, particularly in the knowledge that there are uh, one or two other academy products that will probably get uh, game time over the season as well, as well as a couple of other young British players. Um, you know, British British Core 2.0. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but also... Um, it was just... I thought it was just very very nice to see an Arsenal team look relatively untroubled I mean we all know exactly. that Newcastle are a bit yeah, toothless I mean Newcastle are a bit toothless but um, you know that's never not stopped us making massive rickets against them in the past um, and it's the first time apparently we've kept a clean sheet on the opening day of the season in a decade <laughs> so you know if we can't enjoy that that's some statistic isn't it I mean you know the the other statistic is we've equaled our uh, clean sheet record away from home last season already. So um, you know to do that with what you suppose are three quarters of the first choice back four missing is um, you know not bad. How can you not be happy about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, very briefly, just before we wrap up, because we we will do soon, um, but uh, obviously there was some interesting results elsewhere. We we alluded to. Uh, Chelsea getting absolutely gubbed at United. Uh, I don't know if did you see any of that game at all? No, it's funny. I was talking to uh, an Arsenal fan at work today, and he managed to see Tottenham's game, Manchester City's game, I think Liverpool's game, and the Chelsea game last night, and somehow missed the Arsenal one. And I said, "Oh, that's funny." My weekend was the exact opposite. <laughs> um, so I've, I've seen the goals from that game, but. I, I mean, I, I only saw the highlights of that game because I was I was working when it was on. But um, I very much enjoyed the fact that Chelsea appear to have basically dominated the game for sixty minutes, uh, 
had like 20 plus shots, like totally ran the midfield and got spanked. <laughs> which is which is like quite an Arsenal thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I just I was talking to someone else over there today. So I think it'd be quite interesting to see what happens to Chelsea in the next game because you know you go to Old Trafford as we know you can lose in any circumstance as Arsenal seem to have done very well in the last thirteen years. Mm. But to get beaten four 0 on the opening day as a new manager, I think. He's, he's sort of got a bit of a free swing at it this season, but that's that's not a great result. Well, he that's sort of has statement. and sort of hasn't, because we all know that the, the the trigger fingers get itchy at Chelsea, regardless of what you've done before or how popular you are, if things aren't going the way they want. I mean, uh, I, I suppose it, it's interesting because he's leaning very heavily on the young players, um, yeah. which, is you know, I totally support because Chelsea's academy is you know, been destroying everything before it for the last... Someone's got to make use of it, right? Yeah, exactly, at some stage, <laughs> rather than just Dutch second division teams. But um, but at the same time, if you're trying to introduce a lot of academy players at the same time, you are going to drop points because yeah. they are going to, you know, as Arsene used to say, you know, the, the development of younger players does cost you in points because... They've slightly, got slightly less nous and what have you. And uh, it was, yeah, I mean, Chelsea looked really, in the highlights, looked fantastic going forward, but defensively looked like a shit show. So that's sort of quite interesting to see because that's this, the opposite to the post, the Mourinho onwards Chelsea template. Uh, so it'd be nice to have someone else doing some comedy defending alongside us for a while rather than just being <laughs> a solo effort. Obviously, uh, City and Liverpool both look quite good again. <laughs> Paul Norwich there's a Norwich fan at work and um, I didn't speak to him today but last year I was like oh yeah you wait wait a few years to get back to the Premier League Liverpool first up how lovely get it out of the way get it out of the way yeah I guess so but also you know I mean you say Paul Norwich losing 4-1 away at Anfield as a newly promoted team with some new signings embedded in yet is probably still less depressing than losing 5-0 at home uh, as West Ham, despite the fact the opposition had goals disallowed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. I, mean, I don't know quite how they manage it, how West Ham always manage to start every season really badly. <laughs> They're just like really shit the first couple of games of the season almost every year, except when they beat us that beat. time. Yeah. But anyway, we won't talk about that. All right. Well, um, I mean, there's not much else to talk about this week. Obviously, we've got... We're holding under-23s tonight. Under-23s tonight, yes. Uh, um, oh, actually, the last I heard it was one all at half-time. Flow Balogun penalty equalising. Uh, and, oh, it looks like uh, Arsenal just scored again to go 2-1 up with uh, Flo Balogun having won another penalty and scored it. So there you go. So we've this got... is like my own uh, soccer Saturday going on. Here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so and it, and it looks like Rob Holding has lasted uh, most of the game. He came off after what seventy minutes, sixty-five minutes, something like that. So that's a good sign for his re- recovery. Um, obviously, it'll be at least another three or four weeks before we see him anywhere near a first-team shirt, probably, given in all likelihood, unless we have an injury crisis. But still, good to see. 
Um, and of course, we've got, I think it's Burnley at the weekend. Yes, it's Burnley at yeah. home at the weekend as a, an annoying 12.30 kickoff, which is always a bit... Mm. It's quite handy for me that. My mum's having a family party on Saturday evening, so... Ah, there you go. It's quite well. I can go and watch the football and then pop round to mum's afterwards. I will be running a theatre workshop <laughs> with, ah, well, with small children. <laughs> oh, of course, Jesus, before we go... Oh, uh, there's two things. Firstly, give two me your two, firstly give me your Burnley prediction, <laughs> which is not the main thing. That's just. Okay. Like, but give me your Burnley prediction first. Uh, oh God, I want to say three nil, but I think it three one is probably more likely. Well, I was going to go three one, so I'll say two one because we're still waiting for a number of players to come back into the team. Um, there are actually two other things I wanted to talk about the first thing is oh go ahead I've just thought something else we didn't really give Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang any kudos at all for that finish which was uh, as Mourinho said he made it look simple I think it was Mourinho that might have been seen one of them said it a a tricky finish made to look very simple by a genius I'm paraphrasing slightly well it's a bit like that you know, different player, but a bit like the El Tell thing, or Ian Wright back in the day, where you just like, well, yeah. I mean, he's, he he's, I mean, he scored a really good, well-taken goal. Of course. Next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so but I think it's right to, you know, acknowledge. Yeah, that indeed, indeed, indeed. Not everyone would have scored it. For <laughs> Jesus, don't we know? We've had, enough, <laughs> we've, had, we've had enough strikers in the last decade that wouldn't have fucking scored it. <laughs> um, but also, I suppose it's that thing of... Uh, it also reflects that all the way through pre-season, Aubameyang's looked fucking red hot. Uh, he's, look, he's looked really lethal and really impressive throughout the pre-season. In so. the Barcelona game, he spanked one in the top corner. Oh, wasn't that a gorgeous goal? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, very tasty. Even I saw that one. Um, very tasty. Which is more than the keeper did, of course. Yeah, I just wanted to give him a shout-out because I think we've got an absolute worldie at our football club and he seems to love playing for us, which... Yeah, you get the feeling sometimes with players they're doing you a favour by being there. And yeah. Well, Bama Yang's attitude appears to be absolute top class. Uh, which is, of course, uh, doubly enjoyable given that, you know, the way that he kind of left Dortmund. There were lots of people trying to tell us about his attitude yeah. problems. Yeah, trouble, trouble. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, mind you, he gives the impression of being the kind of person that probably quite enjoy whatever he did, wherever he did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's just a dude, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, him and Lacazette competing for who can have the coolest uh, pre-season sh- 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 promo photos. <laughs> um, but now the other things, two things I just want to talk about very quickly uh, is firstly the Özil Kalasnac oh, business. I mean, that's all got a bit fucking mental, isn't it? I mean, what the latest I've heard is they're sort of caught in the middle between, like, you know, they were they were tempted to be robbed by this gang of scroats on mopeds at Target footballers, um, 
and and then and then and then apparently they're like because they're quite popular with the East European community. Apparently they're like some super East European gangsters that are kind of like don't you fuck with our boys. <laughs> and so now they're sort of caught in the middle between this fucking gang war between two different sets of criminal nutcases. Yeah, well, Lewis again was sort of suggesting on Twitter the other day that Sky may have inadvertently sort of. Made it uh, worse. Led the gangs to Meza Ozil's front door, which I'm sure Meza is, uh, well, I mean, God, what a horrible situation. I just thought, why do I have to be such cunts? I just, you know, this, oh, I, don't, I don't want to get into a state of the nation sort of thing, but. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the things that go on in this world are just horrifying to me. I don't. <laughs> that Arsenal can't take two of their players to a football match because their families are in fear for their safety is fucking insane. Yeah. Um, and that's about all I can say about it, really. I mean, me and my mates helped break up um, not even a fight a couple of weeks ago. Um, we were just at Holland Park tube station and three lads launched in on this kid who was just trying to go to the shops. And we sort of thought, oh, they're just kids messing around. And then one of them went smack in the guy's face. And at that point, we were like, oh, they're not friends. This is serious. And we managed to get the kid away from them and get him home. But um, you just think, what is going on? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, you know, the fact that even when you've got around-the-clock security, there is still shit kicking off. You know, I mean, these... You know the the people who are targeting them or, or you know causing problems must be aware that now this has happened. These guys are going to have proper security yeah. <laughs> because they can afford proper fucking security. You know, it's fucking black jackets and, and tasers, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a horrible situation. It is indeed. Um, you know, when when it, when you get the situation where Mesut Özil misses an away game and yet still people on the internet are sympathetic, you know things are kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny actually my uncle asked me for a lineup prediction on saturday and i i got it wrong because actually i didn't listen to what i was talking about earlier which was the wisdom of not playing players who have only had one training session or whatever mm. and i think we saw how uh, danny Ceballos needs a bit of time to get used to the pace of the premier league but i Obviously, didn't put Ozil and Kalas in that team because I'd seen the Arsenal statement. Yeah, and my uncle was like, "Oh, no, Mesut Ozil," and I was like, "You haven't heard what's going on, have you?" <laughs> <laughs> oh dear Christ! Anyway, all we can do is hope for a speedier resolution to all that as possible. Um, although, it's, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's one of those situations where it's hard to know exactly what the etymology and evolution of the situation would be, but. Um, I suppose let's just hope they're there, whoever, whatever hired heavies they've managed to get hold of, do their jobs properly um, and allow them to at least achieve some degree of normality back in their lives. Because if you're worried about your, you know, your, about leaving your other halves alone because you don't know what's going to happen, I mean, that's just a very scary, scary situation for anyone to be involved in. Um, and uh, going for a slightly lighter note to finish with, the other thing I wanted to touch base on is, of course, we forgot to mention one more departure. Come on, Paul. Who else is left in the trance window? The the last survivor. Oh, uh, Jenko. Exactly. Exactly. The last survivor of the British Corps. The Corporal. The Corporal, yeah. The, Corporal Jenko's gone. Um... 
with uh, and it, with both him and Iwobi win very much uh, very very impressive social media leaving message points. I think is the word, isn't it? Yeah, totally. totally. Heartfelt and sort of a little bit heartbreaking, I think, as well. Um, yeah, well, they showed Lauren Koscielny how to do it, really, didn't they? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they're they're people. They're they're both people that came to the club as young men. Obviously, Jenkins are not nearly as young as they will be, but also both grew up Arsenal fans, so they kind of get it for free. Yeah. Which is you know, which is why I was always used to get pissed off with people giving either of them a hard time. It's like, yeah, they might not be good enough for the levels we aspire towards, but you know, you can't accuse you could never accuse either of them not trying, not trying their guts no. out because A, that's the kind of players they are anyway, and B, they're Arsenal fans. Of course they're gonna try their hardest to play for Arsenal. You know, and and with Jenkinson, I always think he's one of those players that if he'd been around ten years before, he could have had a very or fifteen years before. You know, in the 80s, he would have done really, really well as a top-flight right-back. Yeah. Because he can run up and down all day. He's okay defensively, positionally, needs a bit of work. Good, strong lad, very honest running willer, run, willing runner. Uh, <laughs> attacker. Uh, you are tired. <laughs> I am tired, yeah, absolutely shattered. Um, and But it's just that the game has moved on and the demands on full-backs are now need to be technically more versatile and uh, have greater variation to their play, which Jenkinson doesn't have, which is, you know, I mean, Jesus, for, for a lad who came up through Norwich's youth, through um, Charlton's youth team and was sent on loan to non-league football to suddenly find himself playing playing for the Arsenal. I mean, you know, as he, as he said, he kind of lived his dream, not quite as much as he'd have liked to have done and not to the degree that Kieran Tinney did at Celtic with himself, but, you know, you, you can't knock it. No. And he's no. still getting to be quite well paid professional footballer at a very good, slightly fucked up at the moment, but very good, historically significant football club. So good luck to him there. And if he shows half the, the commitment and dedication that he showed Arsenal, then he'll be very popular amongst Forest fans as well. So there we go. Well, indeed, yeah, nice. Okay, well, I think on that note, it's pretty much time to knock things on the head. Um, <laughs> because we've been going for quite a long time. This is going to be a long podcast, so if you got this far, you deserve a prize. And the prize is that I'm going to offer you free tickets to a theatre show. Yes, that's right. We're still doing the free to the audience, great expectations at the Jeffrey Museum on uh, Kingsland Road. That's sort of halfway between Dalston and Old Street, essentially. Uh, it's on Friday nights. Saturday daytimes, Saturday evenings, Sunday daytimes, Sunday evenings. Uh, you can go and find uh, find all the details on the website freetheatreuk.com. And yeah, the, the, well, the clues in the title. It's free. All you have to do is come along and watch if you want. And we're doing Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. And it's me and lots of other professional actors. So we actually theoretically know what we're doing. Um, doing some theatre for free. And there's kids' workshops on Saturday mornings as well. Well, Saturday, 12 o'clock. So that's another should, thing. So uh, should people that come have great expectations of you? Uh, always. Always, Paul. <laughs> you see, the differences between this and that is I practice for that. 
<laughs> this is just me talking bollocks with you. <laughs> anyway, sounds good. Have a fantastic week, everyone. Um, thanks for speaking to me, Paul, because otherwise this would be really boring for everyone because it'd just be an hour and a half of me. And uh, thanks for sticking with us, listeners. And we hope to speak to you very soon. Uh, got some interesting guests lined up for September, but can you keep our powder dry on those? Uh, we'll let that be a slow drip reveal. You know, we don't. I'm not interested. Thanks. You're been known already. You're accepted. <laughs> you're part. You're part of the team. We're talking about outsiders, infiltrators, oh, okay. well, fair enough. Or, or as we prefer to call them, special guests. Anyway, special guests. Uh, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye, and it's goodbye from Paul. I suspect. Go well, <laughs> and have a great week, everyone. Take care. Bye bye.